Alright, now dang it, Tim. You took it from me. Okay. So, I mean, maybe now we can be a little bit more streamlined in our thoughts. Yeah, it's true. Focus. Oh, yeah. So, that's, that's how we're starting this. We're just gonna. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Adam and I just spent like 25 minutes talking and then it died. <laughs> then it died. So, we're back. So, we're back from the dead ish, mostly. And yeah, hoping that it goes better this time. Well, let's hope. So, the internet is a, a very fickle person. Yeah, so. We made it back. We were busy. We're sorry about that. We suck and all that. But no, we don't suck. We just had lives, and you yeah. know, until Knob Creek starts sending us bottles of whiskey, with the motivation to get together and podcast was trumped by sleep, sickness, family, yeah, all that other type of stuff. So, I did see during that time. What was it? Was it we were like ranked in Sweden or something? For it was uh, Canada and Austria. Austria. Canada well, thank you, and Canada Austria. and Austria. We Austria like you better than the other countries anyway. <laughs> yeah, for sure, eh? I don't know if there's an Austrian... Uh, well, <laughs> I can think of an Austrian thing, but it's definitely not one thing we want to talk like, about. I'll be back. <laughs> okay, there. We'll go with yeah. that one. Um, oh, yeah. man. So, so yeah. talking about... Particularly, we started to get into the conversation about... Um, uh, students and the burrito distribution, and then we took that out into the performance aspect. So, so for the, to, for those of you that don't know, I'm going to be switching into one, two pronunciations, the Peruto or the Pareto distribution. And they're probably both wrong. And they're probably both wrong. And, and I totally could look it up, but it's early and my coffee isn't doing its thing just yet. So well, basically this is saying that in any situation, and you, this goes even up to galactic proportions, not kidding, that 20% of the population will do 80% of the work. Or no, 50% of the work. And then that uh, continually goes in, like then the 20% of that 20% is doing 50% of the work. And the 20% of that top 20% is doing 50% of the work. And it keeps going on and on and on and on and fitting them to smaller and smaller proportions. And then you have this distribution of people that sit at the top that do most of the quote unquote majority of the work versus, and I don't mean to use the top like, in terms of position, but those that are have that uh, input level or output level tend to sit at the top because they are doing whatever it more is at that point. I don't know. Did you see that meme the other day when it was like, apparently you can have you can be CEO of like seven companies at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yep. I'm, I'm assuming now that being a CEO is not that hard of a job. Right? <laughs> Maybe, who knows? I, I haven't done it and I, I don't want to do that. No, sure. It was but, no, I get it. Dang it! Foiled by a meme! Ah, the internet stops everything with one little picture and words. Yeah, um, so I guess we we were sort of chatting the other day, right? And it was sort of led into that Pareto thing. Um, yeah, because we were talking about how in any big group of students, there's some that are going to do better than others. It's as, it's as simple as that. Whether it's motivation, uh, some on the innate ability, though I don't really subscribe to innate ability that much at all. It's more time and talent, or time and practice, uh, rather than quote unquote, oh, you're so talented. It's like, well, yeah, I spend hours a day working on this. Of course it's going to, I hope it's good, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, so that aspect of, say you have 30 students, usually there's somewhere between a top five or eight that kind of, really take off and the other ones don't necessarily do poorly but they're just not doing 
as well as the other ones in terms of progress. Right. And that, uh, with that, it's like, okay, so what do you do with those top five students, top five to eight students? Do you sit there and you say, hey, stay where you're at, or do you send them to uh, an exclusive quote-unquote music school where instead of being in the top five to eight, now they're in a the idea of like everybody at that musical. So take like Juilliard, Curtis, Eastman, you know, um, uh, and others. I can't think of anything else after that. Peabody or something like that. And then they go there and then everybody there was in the top pool of their other locations. And now it's a whole other pool of talent and ability that of a much, much higher caliber. And you suddenly drop from top five or eight to like bottom three or middle level because that distribution it's well, well even if let's, let's, cool. to even to even make it more even let's just say everyone comes in and they're equal okay but they're all equally good yeah but okay. you only have you know three solo spots a year you only have so many ensembles or whatever it is within those universities then who's going to get those you know, so you you can only give it to three, but you have two hundred A plus students or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. now you don't get the the opportunity, even if you are even if you started as good, you start to it starts to like shuffle, and maybe it's a personality thing or whatever. Whatever gets those people into those top three or four spots or whatever, those that top twenty percent. Um. Maybe it. Maybe it's just happenstance, luck, all these other things. Maybe it wasn't even about who was better at that time, or maybe they were better at one thing, but you're better at another. And what's really better? Um, yeah. Well, I so mean, then those all... opportunities change, and then now instead of being the top dog at a smaller known school and getting those opportunities, being the soloist, being the <clears throat> in all the you know premium ensembles that are touring and doing all these things you're now you don't get that opportunity because you went to the better school. So even though you're around people who are better players, um, presumably is going to push your level to hopefully do better. Does it eventually sort of like spin out to something similar? And I guess to the ultimate question, is it bet is that, you know, is it better to be the big fish, big fish in a smaller pond or the, I don't know, average size fish in a big pond. pond, Yeah. Yeah. And that, I I think some of that has to do with what your goals are. You know, if you're obsessed in one sense uh, with continually improving your practice, continually improving your technique and so on, you're going to want to be, you're going to be one aware enough that you have to get punched in the face by others' abilities levels in order to grow as a musician. And like, there's, you don't, there's a humility that comes with a certain point of ability that knows that when you're that self-aware to be like, in order for me to learn, I need to get my butt kicked by sure. other people. And those are the people that I think will ultimately take off because they know that the the end game is not, I have to be recognized, it's that I have to improve. And if that means I have to join like these particular people that are clearly better, but I, and I scraped by the edge of my teeth to get in there, and now I'm learning so much that I'm going to rise up exponentially compared to where I was, where I wasn't yeah. necessarily being challenged in the same way or to the same degree where I was. Um, 
And that, uh, you know, I think that's a matter of where that focus is because, you know, you could have a successful career as a big fish in a small pond. It's just where are you going to end up with your goal that you wanted to hit in terms of your performance ability? You know, if you really want to break out of that mold, you got to get in front of some people that were like, that's great. Now let me wreck everything that you're doing in order to improve. And yeah, no, no doubt to any of that. Um, and we could go down that rabbit hole, which is, yeah, to get better, you got to play with people that are better than you. Or at least that you consider better. Yeah. You know, um, or it helps. It's a, it's a very effective method of getting better mm-hmm. is to get schooled, like you said. But assuming that you could get schooled anywhere and that there are great musicians, no matter what area of the world you go to, pretty much, which is pretty much true. Yep. Um you you might not be part of a the scene in a way and that that's a whole other issue too and and also ignoring the other tangent we could go off on which we could get back into later which is just that you know to to be tenacious and continue like music seems to reward people who just never stop right yeah um, and you, you talk about uh i think it was mike moreno mentioned he, he went to like a performance high school where a lot of big name musicians have come out of but he he was mentioning how n- like all the best students from there aren't the ones you know about because mm-hmm. they, no, they they it's, it's the ones who just didn't quit so like the yeah, middle that's... the middle tier people that just kept going and going and going and never stopped are the yep. ones that have become the big names it wasn't like here's your top 5%. So that's, I feel like that's a whole other thing. Well, that, it's, but, I don't think it's another thing. I think it can, it's a, another factor that comes with that, you know? Yeah. I guess I want to ignore that just for the, just for now, at least in terms of a thought experiment, which is okay. Now. It, okay. So don't factor that in. Yeah. Try not to factor that. Let's just assume that everyone's tenacious, hardworking, uh, not afraid to get their butts kicked whatever, okay. whatever those things are. Uh, see, you know, some, I guess at some point I was, the reason I'm thinking like this is that, you know, say Adam and I both, we have 30 students and we took our f- top five and put them, you know, the five that are the three to five that are just like killer and like very promising. We put them in the same place. Some of, you know, other people we know, put them, you know, their best students in and everyone's best students are there. You know, these are people that you're like, man, that kid's got everything, you know, he's hardworking, yeah. Yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, really got a good ear for it, plays great, already doing good stuff. You put them all in the same space. And and since there's limited opportunities, um, is it better for them to go to the place where they're, this is the, the positive question, right? Is it better for them even after graduation to go to New York city where they're one of a thousand jazz guitar players or classical guitar players that are great? Um, where they may never get an opportunity really to, to get the (laughs) premieres or whatever, regardless of how good they are in a Mm -hmm. sense. Um, or is it better for them at that point to go to a smaller city, um, where now they're, you know, soloing for the orchestra, they're getting premiere works from composers and stuff like that, that probably happened in New York city too, obviously. But when those composers go to Akron, you know, who's going to play it? You end up being that person who constantly gets those opportunities, um, gets 
to play more often or regularly at the local establishments, but perhaps. So in, in five to 10 years, who's actually better off? The one who went to New York, who maybe just all like the only gigs they really could get were just, you know, wedding gigs and things like that, that they could have gotten in Ohio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, um, but at the same time, or the person in Ohio who's getting the premieres, getting to try new stuff, maybe gets a little more artistic freedom to try things without being punished for it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about because I, I don't think any of us disagree that being around, you know, if you're around a thousand other guitar players that are as good as you or better, you could either give up, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just sort of try to maintain or try to become top dog, so to speak. Um, and those, those are all outcomes that maybe are possible, but maybe some of that stuff's out of your control too. There's a little bit of luck involved. I think we could agree, um, in certain levels of, let's say financial success or whatever. Yeah. Um, being at the right place, the right time, and all those kind of things, knowing the right people, networking. But yeah, yeah. I guess ultimately, though, yeah, like... being that person who, who, yeah, I guess where where are you better off artistically? Let's let's pick that first. Okay. Artistically, yeah, five to ten years later, and then where are you better off? Maybe other aspects of the music industry. Well, artistically, clearly, being around better players and playing with people that. Uh, have more chops than you uh, are is going to get you better. But you don't like, think you could get chops like anywhere? Well, if we, we're sticking with a strict locational thing, I mean, if you're going to where all the top players generally go to quote unquote make it, New York City, Nashville, LA, whatever, um, you're you're gonna get better because you have to in order to compete. Like it, it, that's just a, the like the ongoing joke of that uh, gas station attendant in Nashville is one of the best guitar players that you've ever met type sure. of thing. You know, that cliche, which is true to anybody that that's serious to that commitment of I'm uprooting everything and I'm going somewhere else in order to try and make Certainly. it. So yeah. that type of chutzpah will definitely self-motivate you to at least give it 110% for a while and see if it comes together. Um, you know, and to, to so stack up Are you that, saying, though, that the person who stays somewhere else wouldn't be motivated in that same way? I don't think, well, if we're talking about clear ability levels, no, I don't think so. Because the selection Cause you wouldn't, Because you're assuming that you they wouldn't get their butts kicked as much. Yes, exactly. And that's a big assumption, clearly. Yeah, I'm no, not, no, that's, but that's a fair I'm premise. Taking away the, I'm taking away the internet access of being able to see just about it. Yeah, yeah, let's ignore internet yeah, for, let's, for let's a second. Let's ignore that for a moment, because yeah. otherwise it's just like, well, you can do anything anywhere. Um, you know, so... Uh, with that perspective, plus uh, as good as the internet is for spreading that type of information, the interaction of just being in a room with somebody else that's yeah. that it, oh, yeah, seeing someone that do something impressive musically really can put you back yeah. on your ego or whatever yeah. in a good way. And, yeah, in and a good way. you're like, okay, wow, okay, I'm, not, I'm gonna have to work on this, yeah. Yep, and that's uh, I love being I love that personally. You know, it's like seeing the uh, the level of ability and talent that's coming out. Well, okay, and, let's step back. But, so we we've ignored the internet for a second, right? Yep. Presume which would also mean like you can't just go watch anyone on YouTube and see what's good, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Now, as a professional musician at this point in your life, how often are you going out to see new people play? <laughs> at this point in my life, it's it's very rare because yeah, you know. I, yeah, I, I guess so. My you, point you was to, like, so you, you gotta know. you gotta assume a little bit. I, it's easy to say, okay, you moved to New York City. Now you man, you're just around all these people. But like, how often are you really around them? Well, you know, that because one, it's cost costly, and yeah. But even if we said, okay, somehow you're financially enough secure that you could. Like, how often would you be going out to see people and get your butt kicked? Along with all your other duties, presumably you need some gigs and you need either your teaching or playing gigs somewhere or whatever. And those gigs would interfere with the time, which is often what happens with us, right? You're yeah. Like, oh, I'd go Friday night, but I have a gig Friday night. That's exactly what I was going to yeah, bring so up. You, then I, I yeah. it's funny because I started a guitar band, like a jazz guitar band recently. And it's cool because I never get to play with the guitar players. Yeah. Like we did that thing in the summer, yep. which was that great. Was and then uh, I'm like, man, I, I never, I know I almost never see guitar players because I'm playing and I don't see them because we're different nights, different places or whatever. Yep. And um, and then you, I'm never really playing with them because usually it's just one guitar in a group. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I need to change that. So that's part of the reason. I guess my point there is like, it's even if there's a lot of really great guitar players in the area, you might not see them anyway because you're busy and I, and I'm not like, and I'm not playing with them. So I'm not getting schooled by them either, mm-hmm. you know. So that's, no, that's another I, I interesting twist in the whole thing. Yeah. So, well, that's the thing of like trying to see anybody else's gig. It's like, oh, I have a gig. Like you know, for the uh, Akron Guitar Foundation, trying to get everybody on the same schedule. Was oh like, yeah. Yeah. yeah Adam gig. and I are doing a, a Akron Guitar Show thing. We're both featured yeah. artists on it, and the feature like the guy who's putting it together, Jim. Uh, yeah he was trying to get all the featured artist people together the same day. And it was basically impossible. Yeah. It was like hurting cats for, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah. You know, everybody had a gig or had this or that rehearsals. Yeah, it was yeah. gigs or teaching or rehearsals. You know, it was like, I ended up being able to meet with them because I, I had a rehearsal in the morning and then I was right in downtown Akron and I just, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be right out here. You know, do you have time. And it, yeah. and, Literally, my rehearsal ended right when he was able to show up, and it was like, okay, great, boom. You know, we were able to have some details out. But that's the other thing that you run into, you know, like with musicians. It's scheduling. The the more people in a group, the more nightmarish it is. And the more successful they are, right. it builds and compounds on the problems. Like, sorry, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And it's rare where anybody's like, hmm, I could turn down money to hang out or go hang out. You're not going to turn down the money. Yeah. Oh, so I, I want to. So I lived in New York City for five, six years, and I lived there early internet days. So the internet basically didn't exist, right? There's no YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And even knowing when shows were was basically impossible. Like you had to look in the paper. And uh, one, I didn't know anything about the jazz scene. I just didn't. I didn't have any connections. I was 19. I didn't. I didn't know anything. Um, I knew about the Blue Note, and I knew about Iridium. Eventually learned about the 55 Bar. I learned about these places, but it took me probably years of being there. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew about the Blue Note when I first got there, but Blue Note was very expensive for a 19-year-old to go to. It was like $50 <laughs> a ticket plus food, even then, yeah. like in 2000 or whatever. Um, which, you know, when you're making like $6 an hour, <laughs> you can't really do it. And I guess that's another point is I just didn't have money to go out every night. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, what I realized is this is pre-internet and not knowing anything. I There was so many times I went out and I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to wing it, go see something. And it was honestly terrible. Like... Mm-hmm. It was a really uh, a big letdown for me in New York. And what I realized after some time was that there's some really good musicians in New York, but there's not a lot of rehearsal. <laughs> and the reason <laughs> is because um, it's expensive to rehearse in New York City. Yeah. So Plus, you're, I, I, in my opinion, and I strongly believe this, the average band in Cleveland and Akron is a thousand times better than the average band in New York City. And it's not about the individual people. I'm talking about the band itself. And that's because in Ohio or whatever, it's practically free to rehearse. And mm-hmm. so bands rehearse a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, it's not uncommon at all around here if you're in a band to have weekly or biweekly rehearsals. Um, and that's even for a band that's, like, you know, good and well, yeah. you know, well done. They're constantly refining and getting better. And... Not that that doesn't happen in New York, especially the top tier bands, but it's really hard for like middle and lower tier bands to do that. They just don't have time to rehearse, so it's yeah. it's just it's kind of sloppy. Like a lot of the bands, they're just not as they're just not as polished, and it's kind of funny to say that because you will find the top ten twenty percent of bands in New York City are well more polished than yeah. you know they're they're the top players with rehearsals and stuff, and they're great, but. It's, it's you're more likely to randomly stumble on a not not a great band in New York City than a really good one. That was my impression, especially back then. Maybe it's less so now with YouTube and stuff, and I don't know. But yeah, um, that clearly the internet changed a lot of the fundamental dynamics and of exposure and the learning curve. You know, you have access to everything. But I will say this: I have not encountered a student that use a lot of YouTube that came in stunningly good. It was like very nice imitation of things, but to, to quote Steve, can you play Carcassi? <laughs> you know, like, can you, can, you, can you play something simple and do it well? Can you understand what's going on with it? And usually it's like the brakes get hit really hard, really quick. Sure. Um, and... It, for reasons of like you know youtube is nice for the information but there's a lot of people that don't know anything and somehow are yeah it's hard to sift through the crap yeah it's it's hard to sift through the garbage that's out there with it um and that can when especially when you're going in naive it's like you can think this person just because they pull off x lick is like phenomenal it's like well that's the only trick that they have that's it. You start asking them yeah. questions about like how does it work together and it all falls apart or something along those lines. And well, we've talked about it too. There's like that sort of reinforcement too. So somebody, you're like, oh, look, they're playing Bach on the guitar and then they get 60,000 likes for it or whatever. You're like, oh, it's probably pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and then you see it. But it could just be because that person's popular or oh yeah, you, well, you know, to, whatever. Yeah, it, it, it might not have anything to do with the quality of that particular performance. Yeah, well, or it's any like performance. When I saw um, 
what's his face? I love Paul Gilbert's playing. He's incredibly talented. Uh, and just monster licks that come out of nowhere. Some, and every jam session I've seen on YouTube, it's yeah. just been like, that's really Yeah, and cool. his vibrato right now is killing. Oh, yeah. He really worked on that. Blues thing it is tells, like, yeah. Wild. Um, but then I saw him try to do a rock version of the Six Cello Suite intro, and I got like four seconds into it. I was like, no, no. That is awful. Like, it just like... It, it, it was awful. It was a, a terrible uh, translation. I get he was trying to do the rock thing, but it's like, yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be bold and say, stay in your lane with that one. Just, just, just stay over it, there. It is funny um, when um, bluesy or players, especially like he seems to have an ear for the bluesiness of it. Um, you know, the little intricacies that are important in that mm -hmm. world. Um, yet. <laughs> like it's lost when it comes to classical like you see people yeah. do that all the time like they play well, it and then it's like there's no intricacies and there's no nope. dynamics or anything it's like well how did well, you, you know, play the this same thing if I... blues thing and you you caught all the like little like vocalizations and stuff that are really important to make it good but you couldn't well, do that with classical like you just i don't know yeah well i think that's just a matter of like what you live in versus what you don't you right. know it's, but isn't his wife's I'm a my... classical pianist or something isn't she I have no idea. I think I'm just. I think his wife is a classical musician, because I, I believe I've heard him say like, "Yeah, she's a million times better musician than me," um, and she has like perfect pitch and all this stuff. You know, he's like, <laughs> she's, like, she's like a like a legit like really good musician. Yeah. So I'm like surprised she wouldn't be like, "Yo, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this was before he was married. It was a, an older video. And he's probably um, like, you know how much money I make compared to how much money you make? Exactly. He's that, like, that, I'm going to make more money playing this crappy version of Bach than you will ever make. <laughs> and that's the unfortunate thing that, that, that happens in the sense of artistic in integrity. Yeah. You know, popularity doesn't mean that it's necessarily good and vice versa. But when it comes to like <laughs> this particular instance, you know, it's a matter of like he lives in a world he lives in a blues world to get that good for so long and he can recognize all the intricacies and i find myself yeah. even now like 15 years of strict strict quote unquote classical playing it's like i begin to notice more things now than i did five years ago sure. you know just hearing and and that's a continual exposure so when you're you can't serve two masters in terms of the genres and expect them both to be at the same high level. Yeah. You can do some imitation. Like, could I sit down and read through a jazz chart? Yeah, at any day, whatever. You don't want me in an improvisational group uh, to do that. That's just not my shtick. It's not going to do well. I could fake it, but anybody that plays it knows that I'm faking it. Yeah. And I know that I know. And they, I know that they know that I know. And, you know, that, that, that whole thing. And it, whatever, you know. And if it comes down to it in an emergency, and if there's money on the table, it's like, sure, I'll fake my way through this, whatever. Um, and, and I've done that, but right. then I, when I lost that particular gig to somebody else, it's like, it doesn't take me off. It's like, well, they live in this genre. Of course, go, uh, and that's what I would want. You know, it's like yeah. it, that it, if I'm aiming at a particular thing, I want the guy that understands the lingo of it. And that happens through continual exposure and living in that world. And when you don't, it, it's tough. Yeah, there's crossover, but it's not the same. It's just not. And that, I think that's also a matter of also knowing what you're good at and where you've focused your time like sure. 
uh, I'll go through and I'll do a lot of inversion exercises and so on just to be, keep my chops up in the sense of being able to place things in every position. But do I live in a constant improvisational world? No, not at all. Like the guitar is over there because I was practicing some music that I'm learning and reading the, the sheet music and add, writing all the fingerings in and so on. And that's what I live in. You know, it's like, yeah. do I, can I improvise? Yeah. Do I make a living doing that? No, not at all. Not in the least. Uh, I understand all the stuff that happens underneath it, and I can explain that well, and I can teach that, but I don't like getting hired for those particular things because that's not the world I live in. Um, and that's fine. I can, I, maybe it's a matter of like maturity, period, not necessarily as a musician, but just in life where you get to a point where you realize I can't be keeping six different things up in the air. Sure. I got to pick one. So, Adam so I, I, think, I think this can actually tie back to our original conversation, which is, yeah. okay, now you've moved so you're the person who moved to the big city versus the smaller city now the person who moved to the big city you know they need to get gigs so maybe they end up doing a bunch of gigs in different they, they don't get the like premiere gig right but they get they can do some weddings and then they can do maybe they get in a bar band or something and they're playing covers or a broadway show but here's yeah. but yeah or a broadway show but now, back to your point now, you're serving a lot of different masters, mm -hmm. right? Like, you got to learn what does the Broadway show need? What kind of, like, styles yeah. do they need? What kind of gear do you need to fit that purpose? Um, you know, and you're doing a bar band or whatever, like, you got, there's a certain thing there. And now, you're not really focused on whatever, maybe it was jazz or classical. I guess we're picking on those because mm -hmm. those are our passions. But like, uh, if you would have stayed in your smaller town, maybe all you had to do was play jazz gigs, for instance. That's maybe not even fair, though, either, since, you know, even in Cleveland and Akron, there's only a limited number of clubs mm -hmm. to play. So perhaps you still have to do the other stuff to get money. So that that's the other side you're playing with. But maybe you would have a chance to focus a little bit more on your art of choice as opposed to the only gigs you can get are, you know, money gigs or whatever that yeah. that are outside of your realm. So yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about what advantages disadvantages you, you could have. Well, there's a, obviously jumping into a bunch of different genres does have some advantage because you're learning a bunch of different genres. But what I've but seen, but maybe not. Um, yeah, maybe not as a yeah. premier classical performer. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And eventually you get to a point where it's like, all right, I can be a jack of all trades here, but I'm never going to be, you know, if I, I'm never going to be a, a, a good guy. Why am I drawing a blank on any jazz guy? I'm never going to be Matheny, but I can imitate that at a, at a low level with that. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, you can put those different hats on, but... You know, the thing that you really want to aim at, well, in, in my head, the thing that you really want to aim at is what you enjoy doing and are competent with and bring that specialization with that. Specialization is always, you know, an exclusionary thing because you have to let other things fall to the wayside. You know, it's like it, my, my shredding technique has gone to hell because I, I haven't touched it in, seriously in 15 years. It's right. like, sure, I can get up and maybe 
do some, you know, blah, 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 for a little bit, and I enjoy listening to it, but I just can't pull it off anywhere near what I used to. Yeah. And that's fine. But I also, now I have a killer tremolo, you know, finger style is not a problem. All the, the classical right. thing, reading music, all those things that I didn't have are part of me in a, in a much bigger sense. Um, and I think that's advantageous to have those things to aim at something else. And now I have like a niche where it's like, I get the calls where it's like, yeah, we need a classical guitarist for this. Okay. I, I'm the guy that gets reached out to because that's what I have on my plate. Um, and I don't think that's a, a bad thing at, at all, but it, to tie it to the original conversation about uh, big fish, little pond, big fish, big pond, um, is that in the big pond, the potential for connections is huge versus where you're at in a, in a little or a, Area. Sure. So there's a, that advantage of having this huge potential uh, pool of contacts is clearly going to help. You know, it's like you never know who you're going to meet. And the aspects of the, the luck at the luck aspect is luck tends to favor those that are always continually working at something. You know, it, it, it is, you know, if I if I didn't yeah. touch the car for three months, you know, but I had all these contacts and then they had me audition for something, I'm going to come in doing poorly. But if I'm the guy where I'm constantly working at it and constantly doing it and I get called for something and they want an audition tomorrow and it's like, okay, fine, I'm prepped, I, I'm ready to go. So yeah. that, uh, that continual working on something is to make sure that when those opportunities come along, you're going to be able to take advantage of it and not make a fool of yourself. You know, I, one of the big things, I, I saw this quick little TikTok about this guy who was playing on a cruise ship. You know, he's just playing G and C. You know, he's got a nice Paul Reed Smith, not like the SE, but like, you know, the custom one, he's doing the thing. Yeah. And all these guys are commentating on it, commenting on it, you know, like, oh, you're what's wrong with music. You're just simplifying this and so on. And I was like, no, the dude's making money. Like, this is how you do it. This is what's written in the score. So you do what you're getting paid to do. If the checks don't bounce, who cares? You know, it's not ruining music. It's literally what the director wanted. And so you say, yeah, okay, sure. that's fine. Um, you can have your differences of opinion, but ultimately it's the guy that's paying your check that's making the call. And that's the way that it is. And I was expecting... Yeah, so that, that's a diff but that's money. different than artistic things, right? That's a... Yeah, of course. That's yeah. a money-making thing. But that guy that's gigging out, you know, through that entire cruise ship run or whichever, is making tons of contacts, performing a hell of a lot more than the other guy that's turning that particular thing down. And that's growing his list of exposure and contacts and... Well, blatantly, it's taking the edge off a of stage fright, too, because you're doing it all the damn time. Right. It's a, that's the biggest thing that I tell anybody that has a performance coming up. I'm like, if you're not playing in front of other people, whether it's your roommate, your friends, a street corner, whatever, in order to engage with that idea of another person watching you, you're going to get up in front of other people and you're going to collapse. That's just it. You, you don't have that... Uh, exposure bringing the contempt to the audience or bringing the uh, a contempt of uh, stage fright in the sense of like you just don't care and you look down and it's not a big deal anymore and that just happens through continual exposure and doing it you know that's it's just the only way to get rid of it is to live in it <laughs> it's like okay this doesn't bother sure. me anymore yeah uh, that's what I, I have a, like a, a a twitch channel that is used but I don't promote it 
just so I can get ready for a concert to get that edge off of it of somebody watching me, you know, God only knows who it could be. And Mike, and it's usually like one to three people. I'm not doing it to make money in the sense of like, I want a big tricks channel. I'm doing it to prepare myself mentally that this is not a big deal where I just don't care. And that helps take the edge off. Um, so with it, tying back to that whole thing of like genres and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the, Jim the Marin, the guy that we interviewed, one of their first interviews, he says like, be the guitar player of your community. So yeah. if you're gonna aim for a smaller thing, you know, that's exactly how you fit that niche. And that's an easy way. It's like, you know, uh, Bob Lenz, uh, Mike Lenz in, in Akron, the blues guy. It's like, he's known as the blues guy all over Akron. He's the go-to right. blues guitar player. And that's great, that's his thing. You know, awesome, super. Jim has Akron locked up as a classical guy, which is great. You know, that's his thing. You know, I tend to everything around Kenyon and so on. It happens to be uh, where or Gambier, Ohio, is where I tend to do my thing there, and yeah. uh, and 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 in Canton, like way south of me. Fine. You know, you you get your stick and you stick with it because it's consistent, and then you're the go-to guy. People, oh, who was that? And your name goes out there. And so that's advantageous. And when the with when you're in New York City, you know, where everybody is a, a top dog trying to scramble for things, it's a lot more competitive, and you have to stand out from the crowd. And how do you do that? Like I, I, I'm saying that not even rhetorically. I mean, like, how would you do that? Especially now, I haven't been there in a long time. The last time I did a musical thing there, I was there for like five days, like kind of like as a residency, quote unquote. And I had a blast. I loved it. Um, but well, still, I still know, think it's the same, you know, it's the same thing you were just saying, which is the being bold and practiced probably is good. You know, you put yourself yeah. in, you know, you try to be around the good people and the scene you want to be in. Um, and if you can stay around them long enough, then an opportunity probably will come up. Mm -hmm. Well, never... and that's, I look at myself when I get opportunities now, if I can't do something, cause I ha like, I got asked to play something and it's like, well, I actually have a gig that night, you know? So sorry, I can't take that one. But, and then what do I look at? I look at my top students, you know, that's the oh, yeah. uh, first thing. It's like, okay, boom. I know. Oh, nope. They can't do it because the gig that is that night, they're in the ensemble and I'm conducting it. So shoot, that kind of like, zoop. so next thing is email all my colleagues, you know, it's like, boom, if you have students or yourself, if you're interested, here's the contact information, reach out type of thing. Um, and hopefully it, it comes together. And it's, it's, I don't, I honestly, in that case, I don't know if somebody took it or not, but uh, that's just kind of like the way that these things work. You tend to go to your pool that you know, yeah. because and it's your own reputation. When somebody asks you to recommend somebody, I always think of like, I want to make sure that they're going to be able to pull it off. You know, sure. I want to give them anything that's bad. And that's the same thing. So it, it's always honoring to hand somebody else a gig because that means, yes, I think you're capable, you know, uh, of doing these things. Uh, and that's both, it works both ways, whether somebody gives one to me or I give them to somebody else. It's always like, no, we trust this person to, to, to do this. Um, and so uh, on a little side jaunt, you know, reputation is king in that regard. If you have a bad rep, it's very, it's going to be very tough for you to lose that and to maintain any type of gigs. But if you have a good rep, it just keeps building. So, you know, if you're gonna plan on doing this, don't be a jerk, come prepared, be early, and do the work. That That's the only way to yeah, sure. make success with that. I mean, that goes with anything, but... Um, so I think, uh, like, in terms of the which is better, 
it depends on what you want. You know, if you want that absolute top of your game superstardom, sticking around in Podunkville isn't going to necessarily get you there. Yeah, probably the, not. The, that whole thing of like, oh, they were discovered singing in their parents' basement type of thing, it doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't. Well, uh, uh, it doesn't not. I mean, the internet changes things. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, you got Jacob Collier. That was totally an internet phenom. Uh, To an extent, maybe even Justin Bieber was that way. Uh, But that's like two out of billions, you know, and and even more so with that. And then you have other... It might be interesting, though, like uh, even of pop stars. What percentage actually actually live in LA or New York as when they were discovered? Mm -hmm. I bet it's not... I bet it's not as high as it's you would not, think. Maybe it's, it's higher. Maybe it's higher there. Maybe, you know, it's 20% of the 100. Mm. But it's definitely, I don't think it's the 60 to 80% of yeah. those people who yeah. live in those places, right? I don't know if that, if that matters or not. But Yeah, and the internet helps, but the, it helps tremendously with getting exposure um but that also is another big big pond <laughs> you know it's like yeah, right. that you, you're going from you know new york city which is a, a, like three or four million people or whatever it is to almost eight billion when you're starting to throw yourself out yeah, this reminds I'm, me of something that's really interesting to me and I, there there seems to be the professionals and i'm using that term somewhat loosely but let's say some of the best of the best who have zero internet presence, mm-hmm. right? And but they still get the good gigs, and they still have this because of all the work up to that point. Yep. And then the, there's like a another tier of people that are pretty internet famous, but don't get the good gigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's people that are you know loosely on the internet or whatever. But yeah, I do find it interesting. I always find it interesting, like the sort of top tier people that aren't on the internet at all, you yeah, know, and, and the, the sort of way to get to that point is, is sort of a fascinating journey. We should find those people. <laughs> I think the question is like, were they bigger before the internet? Like how old, how old are those? Well, I mean, how, I mean, well, some of them are older, sure. But there's people that I know that are younger that have a lot of gigs that, you know, they have. You can't find a website. You can't find YouTube. You can't find well. Maybe you can find YouTube because they play with somebody. One, you know, big gig. Yeah. But they're yeah. they're on that gig, but they they don't have a Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, right? So yeah. they're not well, they're not I even prom- they're not yeah. even promoting their gigs or anything yet. They're still getting these good gigs. Yeah. Um, I, think I think that's the, a, that's uh, a fascinating group of people that I don't know. We'll have to bring somebody like that on. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, like I look at it for myself. It's like, yeah, I got a YouTube channel and a TikTok and, you know, I kind of let my Facebook thing die because I basically I hate having to take time away from practice. Yeah. I mean, it's like I can work on something or I can do a video and you know, mm-hmm. the, the shorts are nice because I can get some information out and do it real quick and then get back to my to my life. And, but like if I'm looking to do like a full edited 10 minute video, that's going to be hours of work. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, it's like, mm, chance of that actually doing anything versus the practice that I know will do something, that's gone. Like, I'm not going to put any effort into the other thing because it's like all this time editing, all this time making sure that, the, 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 no, I just want to 
get there and do it. I mean, it's, it's a good uh, practice, I think, sometimes. I, I also, I, the reason I use it more than I maybe I should is I feel like a lot of times we see people present material and it's so polished and perfect and there's no trace, there's no traceability up to that point. Mm-hmm. It's like, what did they sound like 10 years ago getting up to this point? So yep. I think it's kind of an interesting thing to, and this is the non-edited sort, you know, like, here, we're just going to put this out there. This is what I'm working on. Let's see where it goes in five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, I find that kind of interesting because I feel like that's that's a big lack. Everything's so fake on the internet, right? It's like yeah. overly yeah. polished and overly perfect. And it was 75 takes for the improvised yeah exactly and then you know, it's so like that the, i hate that good. yeah it's like that's, that's a little too the, perfect to be yep. you know off the you know, it's that's where it's like watching like watching uh guys like guthrie govin play with hans zimmer is like yeah that guy is it's clearly he's incredible he's yeah. absolutely what he's doing but then you see the, the internet room guitar players where it's like a minute and a half thing of them doing a thing and then they're out and it's like, mm, I bet you that was like 30 takes, right. you know, to try and get it right. Together. A lot of, yeah. if, there, if there's a lot of camera angles, that's where my suspect meter goes up much more. It's like, mm, that's called you made a mistake and shift type of thing. And the other thing, too, is with most guys that are doing those short takes, you know, most, I'm not talking about like your your, your top players like Mateus Asado or whatever, who's clearly a monster. But most of that is like no albums. Just quick little blurbs, and that's it. And it's more for an internet clout look than it is for yeah. developing as a musician. Uh, and, the, you know, this is going to segue into the whole, like, you know, the I can't even remember what the heck her name was. But let's just say her best assets were not the playing. Uh and there is, you know, tons and millions of followers and, and so on. And you're just kind of like, oh, my God, the timing on that was atrocious. Like holy crap but you know they're playing this and i'm building my music career yeah i'm sure you are like are they improving yes it's it's probably always been like that though right uh, yeah you know but wearing a cocktail dress that uh how do i put this there's clearly more of a draw than the music uh with that and i don't i'm not bitter about that but i'm I, the thing that annoys me with it like the, the the aspect of it is to put that as i'm a musician versus the other aspect of more of like i'm a model that happens to have a guitar in their lap or whichever uh that's just like okay that i'm totally t- putting the purest thing what out is that there. a video killed the radio star yeah exactly i got a face that made a radio type of thing um, uh, a body that's made for YouTube, uh, <laughs> whatever. However, that would retranslate. Uh, but that that. But is that's like, what I, but I, I don't know. I guess we always have to fight that. But I get yeah, what, I get what you're saying. Awesome. But you know where I'm coming from with that. And it's uh, if that particular person gets their chops up to where their physical uh, attractiveness is, they're going to be brilliant. But it's clearly not there at the t- for the time being. But that's also not uh-huh. what people want to see. Well, I don't know. Given the amount of views, I would argue different on that. No, no, no. I'm saying that <laughs> what people want to see is they what they want to see isn't necessarily high level music. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clearly. So, um, and that's the music nerd. And I guess you I mean, could say, all, and that's, there's the Pareto thing too, right? It's like people are generally satisfied with McDonald's, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's um, a reason why there's one all over the place. Yeah, it's not necessarily that you can't make a better burger at home, but it's damn Yeah, there's basically a better burger and fries everywhere, but there. Yep. But it's, you know, it is what it is. Taking the time to make it, you know, and everything else, learning how to cook. Uh, but anyways, uh, that was a tangent that we went down. It's shoot. Uh, okay, anyways, so so back to the original topic at hand. Yeah. Now, now going back to the scenario... But allowing the internet to be there, does being in those prime locations matter as much, do you think? I Well, I mean, given the ex- what we're seeing today with the room guitar, internet room guitar players, it Yeah, but are, they getting, are they getting the good gigs, though? That, I was just about to point that out. It, it doesn't matter in terms of fiscal success, the necessity of playing out, because you can get all the endorsements and the sponsorship. I mean, you look oh, at that. Oh, I see that, what you're saying, yeah. Like you can get a, a good income with doing the short take things and getting exposure that way. But you're right. I never see we never see these people out performing. You never see them uh, touring with bigger named artists as their guitar player or any of those things. That can clearly happen, but it's not as prominent as just sitting in the room doing the same. I mean, shoot, I would take being a room guitar player any day because. <laughs> I could just sit in my room and practice. That would be great. Um, you can, though. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, you know, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to do on the break because I was hitting the internet pretty hard over the summer when I had an extended amount of time. But once I got into full-time teaching again, it was like, yeah, I just, I don't have time, you know, to, to, sure. to, to do that. I have to limit uh, where everything is at due to time constraints. And now that I have this little bit of a break, I'll probably store up a bunch of videos and leak them out, you know, trickle them out over a, a decent amount of time. And the other thing, too, that factors in with that, how hard I push on it, is the money-making factor. Like, if I was guaranteed to get some modicum of income with putting a video out, I'd be a lot more motivated to do it than, well, there's a chance. And I'm getting close. You know, if I hit, if you hit 1,000 subscribers on either one of the major YouTube, TikTok, or whatever, you at least get monetized. And that's something. Okay, that's a little bit more mo- uh, motivation than you get nothing. And we're going to ride sure. it. I mean, your, you get whatever. a penny and a half a year. Exactly. Gonna... You know, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, you hit a thousand and the next thing you know, you're going to retire and be a YouTube star. But uh, it definitely helps going from zero to one. You know, it's like, hey, look, I made my first dollar on YouTube. It took four years, but I got it <laughs> or whatever. That reminds me, I just saw the Stellar Regions this year. Yeah. In streaming yeah. made 31 cents. Woohoo. Oh, that's American sense, buddy. <laughs> These colors don't like, yeah, this is It's getting worse. Yep. It's um, a, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, that That's an easy thing that we can go down to and complain like our description says. <laughs> <laughs> so, or our review or whatever. So, uh, but the, um, I think ultimately, like, it's a great thing to have many avenues of one, potentially getting your music out there. But now everything is turned into huge pond. Good luck. Type of thing. So okay, and you kind of let me finish okay. this thought. Yeah, but you kind of have to have both your local niche and your internet presence in order to build both things together. You can't be completely isolated, especially the further away you are from major metropolitan. Well, I guess area. depends on your goals, though, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, if your goal, goal is just to, to be on the internet and you don't really want to play in bands or care about your yeah. local area. I'm the opposite. I'd rather be performing and the internet would be great to help push that. And honestly, I love teaching as well. That's why I got into it. You know, I didn't get into it because I hate teaching because I wouldn't be any good at it. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoy it. And being able to give somebody the tools in order to make them a better artist is awesome. I think it's great. Um, so that's where I'm really aiming at. Uh, but And I love the performance aspect, but I'm also not delusional thinking that I'm going to walk out and win a Grammy anytime soon. Or even, uh, what's the way to put it, uh, be a touring musician at this point uh, in my life. It's, just, it's not feasible unless there's a good amount of money on the table sure. for me to get up and leave my family. Um, and But, you know, that could clearly happen if somebody's like, here you go. And I'm like, all right. That's a trade-off that I'm willing to take, you know, because that'll obviously lead to other things. But until it gets to that point, it's like, yeah, no, I don't have the ability to build it like I would if I was single in 20. It's where I can. Yeah, it's probably, again, easier in the bigger cities where there's more tourists coming out that might have money. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now the whole touring thing is just a freaking mess. Oh yeah, with, like the, that whole thing with Devin Townsend talking about like the costs have skyrocketed. The venues are locked up. And the, uh, the, it's just what used to be a, a guaranteed moneymaker is now most likely you're going to go in the hole. So yeah, so, yeah, not only did record companies who used to never touch any of the touring stuff, now they're taking their 50-50 split or whatever mm -hmm. of all the touring and merchandise. Now the venues are taking touring and merchandise. Yep. It's and like, you have Ticketmaster. It's like nowhere to make any money. Yeah. But not going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, just, let's yeah. try and save that for another episode. So. Um. Now there is a notion we we've sort of just said big fish or big ponds or whatever like that, like New York, but whatever this sort of muse you're following, I think you could make a pretty good argument regardless of location to be around the scene that you want to be in mm -hmm. physically. Right. Yeah. Like if you want to be part of the John Zorn scene, you probably need to be in New York City. Yep. <laughs> or Absolutely. around musicians that play with him if they're from somewhere else, right? Um, and I don't think that the internet hasn't necessarily helped too much with that. I mean, maybe it's helped a little bit. You could, now you can actually email John Zorn, for instance. Yeah, exactly. He, he'll probably yeah. reply to you. Um, that wasn't possible before. Um, without just running into him somewhere or getting his phone number or something from somebody. Um, but yeah, definitely being in proximity means that you could possibly get in that scene, play some gigs with the people that are part of that scene or whatever. So maybe that, I guess what I'm, I'm wondering, perhaps that's maybe the best reason to ever move to a particular yeah. location. If it's a, like a particular, like, you know, What's the way to put it? Like Pierre, when he was growing up, he was in French-occupied Algeria. Yeah. And he would wake up and hear that street music all the time. All the Muslim calls of prayer, all that type of rhythmical variation type of thing. That Maybe not in the, the Muslim calls of prayer, but just on, with the street and the, that cultural impact. In order yeah. to get that, he had to live there. You know, like he grew up in that and it totally plays into his music yeah. and allows him to, to bring that. So there's... 
Dusan Bogdanovich, same thing. You know, he grabbed all the Eastern European bloc folk style of music and started to implement it into, or I mean, that's where he lived. It became part of him. Uh, and you're not going to get that experience unless you're there. You know, sure. there's something to say for growing up in a particular culture and using that, or not even using that. Growing up in it, in it you see it seeps into you whether you like it or are uh, aware of it or not. And you're going to take that and, and infuse it with whatever you're going to do. It's just a matter of where you want to take it. Um, so I think that's you're never going to trade off that level of immersion with an internet. It's never going to happen. Like yeah. maybe sometime if we get Neuralink and can jack in, you know, do like a matrix thing, it will be pretty close. But uh, until then, unless you got boots on the ground, you're not going to be able to live in it and experience it to the, to the ultimate soaking impact that can be done unless you're there. You know, sure. it's, it's that, that's just bottom line. That's it. So the internet is great for being able to pull in a lot of different resources but in terms of living the experience, you're all you're getting is a, a literally just a projection on a screen. So, so, out of curiosity, is there a classical guitar hub on the internet? No, and location. Oh, like a... location. I, I don't. Not to the. I mean, yes, you know, you have every school of music that has a classical department is going to have that type of hub to it. That's just, duh, of course that's going to be there. The bigger name ones are going to be, have a lot more pull and a lot more dominance with that. For, like, say you wanted to be around top the top-tier classical guitarist, the most per capita. The most where, per capita. That's... Uh, like, where's where's the location that you would be? Is that still in New York? Like, you're around Sharon Esben and... I don't know. Like, who I else? I have is a lot in New York, but it's like you know Paris. I mean, thinking globally, it's like uh, Paris is is huge. Uh, so, like, I, who's in Paris? That I guess my point. Roy, Raphael, uh, whatever his last name is, I can't remember. But some uh, like the the thing that I look at in terms of hubs for classical guitars, what usually happens is you watch the competition winners and who they study with, and if it ends up being that you know. Is like take uh, this is why Bruce Holzman part of the reputation uh, that Bruce Holzman has as being an incredible teacher because his students for like ten years were dominating classical guitar competitions. Yeah. So that immediately turned everybody's like, wait a minute, this guy is pumping out these high level players, and it's a, a chicken egg situation. It's like clearly anybody that's, that's going to Bruce Holzman is going to be extraordinarily motivated to yeah, get. Where's good. he located? Florida State. Okay. Okay. Um, and he's uh, so everybody. But are, are, are the people leaving once they graduate from there? They're moving back somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, they're all over the place now, you know, and they're spreading out, which is great. Uh, it, it's bringing that level of playing up everywhere. See, I guess my my question though is but in terms of like if you there's not I don't there's so many areas where you, like well you can even take uh, uh studying under Steve as being a hub because he was at Akron and at Oberlin. Yeah. And so you're getting like these huge, like Oberlin's a conservatory. So the seriousness of playing is much, much higher. And the, uh, as, and University of Akron was significantly cheaper than Oberlin, but it's still the same teacher. So you had a lot of the, this bleed over from Oberlin into Akron for graduate degrees. And, you know, some players from Akron going to Oberlin to be even more highly specialized. Uh, yeah. 
with that. So the hubs are created through the academic aspect, at least in the classical world. Like I, that's just because you're going to go to study with somebody that's great. You're going to find that person and aim to be a part of it. Um, you know, and and I, the thing that's weird about classical scenes is that it's not like there's classical clubs, like a jazz club type of scenario. Yeah. Because the, the the lack of amplification and the need for more intimate listening can be a, a catch-22. Because, like, you know, if you had a bunch of people eating and drinking while somebody's doing a classical thing, it's going to disturb the, the gravitas of the music that's being played. Yeah. Uh, different than amplified jazz music would. And I, clearly, you can be rude in both situations. You know, it's like it, it, with all the situations at Nighttown, when somebody's having a conversation sure. six feet away from the artist, it's like, dude, shut the hell up. He's like, why are you here? Um, so, so is there that, anywhere, though, that like has regular classical guitar shows like every night, you know, and you could like any part of the world, you know, of like that? I, I think those happen, but I can't no name any places right off. Yeah, it's hand. kind of interesting. I mean, no, I was. Just you think it would be something that could be a thing? You know, like I don't know. I, it's I a coffee totally shop. Agree. Like, could you have a coffee shop place that every night at seven till nine there's classical guitar going on? Um, I think it could be done. But the thing that you run into with coffee shops from experience is, yeah. Mike, your orders up. You know, it's like uh, well, yeah, that yeah. kind of sold that. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I was trying to pick on something that's somewhat more quiet but yeah yeah no I, I get what you're saying and i would love to see it you know i've thought of those ideas uh and it's like well how do you set up a place to do that like a wine bar would be more ideal because those are tend to be a little bit more you know sipping and uh right. with noshing on stuff that's not like a full kitchen where you're screaming orders right back type of thing um so there's a, a, a avenue for it but it's like how do you grow that type of thing like somebody some owner of a place is going to have to take the risk and be like, all right, I will put this on, you know, every day for a year and see if it grabs uh, uh, yeah. some traction and so on. But then you have to find people to play. You know, it's such a there's a there's a possibility, but it's a niche that needs to have a good amount of time to build. Like, I think it could be done. I think it'd be great. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that yeah, it's obviously just curiosity I had. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's obviously there's there's a zillion fantastic classical players out there too, but but even even if you scene. opened it up bigger and said like just have a classical classical night, whether it's guitar, flute, violin, you know, piano, whatever, yeah. opening that up to continual exposure to classical music would be fantastic. Oh, well, and of course I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is it comes down to cold, hard cash eventually. You know, they're, yeah. you're going into red doing that. It's not going to last forever. And that's kind of like what happens with the some of the uh, um, more strict jazz listening rooms. It's like everybody loves the idea, but those tend to go under in the sense of like, don't talk. Let the players do their thing, you know, to absolute silence and you're going there to listen. It's great for the serious listeners, but the quote unquote common folk go, you mean I can't just like jibber jabber a little bit, you know? And so it, it turns them away from going into maybe, having, maybe, I don't know. I, Cause I, I was just in Chicago and I was at the jazz standard. I think it was, I don't know, whatever place it was totally like, it was packed on a Wednesday night or whatever, you know, totally packed, mm -hmm. um, standing room only. 
Um, people had dinners. Dinner was like 50 bucks, whatever. Yeah. And no talking during the performance. And everybody was cool with it. And it but was almost... And it was almost no musicians there. I mean, you, you know, you can kind of tell when it's like musicians yeah, listening. Yeah. It was, I would say, 98% were not musicians. So I would say how long has that place had that reputation? And well, it's I? been years, decades. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So they have a lot. And I'm not saying that that disproves your point uh, at all. But I'm saying like they've had a huge history. So it's known as the listening spot now to even the lay person that's wa- going to visit Chicago. Perhaps, like, oh, I didn't know that that was the rule. I actually. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, everybody's I, what the hell, dude? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know, yeah, actually, you know. they did. There was a few people they had to like walk around and tell them to be quiet. You know? Yeah. But the, um, again, I guess my point was, I, I'm not sure that people are, that's probably not what keeps people away, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, um, it could be a, you know, there's... Like, I think people that are viewing, and we're totally off on another topic, but like people that go yeah. to shows want to be transported somewhere else. They want to like, it's it's escapism, right, to go see a, a performance. And... I think they're generally cool with whatever rules are in place. And maybe it's even better if there's rules. Um, as opposed to the person who's going just like, oh, I want to go to the bar and get a drink. Oh, there happens to be a band there. Yeah. Like yep. that that sort of inspires a different sort of listener. But if I you have a, co- a, cover, a cover charge and all that stuff, like where it's like, hey, you are coming here to pay for this performance. Mm-hmm. That sets a different mindset. Yeah, it definitely know? sets a different mindset. So, and I think that's the advantage of having a long standing history of this is a listening room that I'll like, there's a difference between bar that has live music and a live music venue that has a bar, you know, it, that, sure. that in terms of the perception, it's like, you're going to walk in expecting a show versus, Oh, there just happens to be one going on in the background. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. And for all, you know, it's the greatest classical guitar player that ever lived or just, <laughs> exactly. And classical and like, guitar and bar doesn't really go so well. Try no, 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 yeah. Right. I, you know, whatever. It could be the greatest whatever person ever, legend in like yeah. books and movies. And like, well, yeah. like if you didn't know you were going in there and you just walked in, you'd probably just start talking over it. Yeah. Well, like Joshua Bell playing in the subway. You oh, know, right. It's, yeah. It's like everybody just walked by and threw money into a case and didn't listen for more than a minute, or right. if that. So, and then uh, versus, you know, somebody uh, seeing an absolute and stellar performance in a concert hall is yeah. packed out. So it's. You know, it's well. I, he did that, and I know that. Or I heard a story about Nick Galusis, who's the head of classical guitar at Eastman, that was practicing his Bach in the subway to get it ready yeah. for recording. You know, so you got this stellar player playing for nothing just to get ready and and play in the subway or in the subway area just to busk and get his right. chops up, and everybody's basically ignoring him. You know, it's like, uh, well, you two even did that. They like went in disguise and were, and were doing the thing and oh, yeah. everybody just kind of was like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> so it, it, there's clearly it's a matter of it, also too on a subway, nobody's going to have time to generally be like, oh, this is incredible. I'm going to sit. It's like, no, I got to yeah. do something. You go to a subway station to, to transport. Not yeah. To so it's sort of unfair to begin it, with. It, it's an it's a, it's a apples to oranges type of thing. It's like, yeah. I don't think those are going to be exactly yeah. the same comparisons because uh, of the mindset you go in for. So, you know, it. Uh, I, I'd love to do a classical strict 
listening room or even if it switched to like classical and jazz and rotated you know doing the quote-unquote higher forms of artistic expression whatever that kind of means um with that and uh but that comes down to the argument of development and ideas another subject anyways so the uh the big thing is that ultimately you know you want that exposure and challenge it no matter where you're at, if you want to grow as a musician, like the idea, I can't imagine one serious musician that's continuously satisfied with what they're putting out. <laughs> they're always looking at doing the next thing. You know, uh, uh, an old friend of mine, um, uh, Mark Sevilla, he's a huge now like folk pop guy. He's been writing and doing it since he was like 14. You know, like I remember him staying at my my house because he was friends with my younger brother and his dad helped me get into a lot of playing period uh so we occasionally keep in touch uh, especially when he comes around to perform but his thing is like he, they were interviewing him and he's like you know what my best song is the one i just wrote <laughs> and that's always the way that it is he's yeah. like i might not go anywhere but in an interview he was saying like you know i wrote the, the he had this like song and he put out how bad we knew each other like in 2016 16 or something like that or maybe even lo lo earlier than that regardless uh, yeah. you put out a song that the record company who thought was going to be a huge hit and everything else had a great hook great writing you know like really well done it was nothing like nothing happened to it and they were all uh, he was like you could be epically disappointed about that he's like 10 years later the uh pandemic breaks out and he gets reached out to by samsung and they want to use the song for a global campaign at right. that time so he's like, you know, this song that was supposed to go everywhere way back when didn't do nothing. And then I get a phone call from this company that wants to put it as the song for their entire Covering the Planet campaign during this time. And it hit. It's like, you know, so I can't, he's like, you can't keep looking at where things go immediately. The bottom line is, and this is me piggybacking on it, but it's like, the, you have to be continually working at it because you just don't know where those things happen. And that goes back to the whole, well, luck tends to favor those that are continuously working. You know, sure. and so he's, and I love the amount of success that he's getting. It's so cool to watch. You know, it, it's just kind of, it's one of those surreal things. It's like, wow, you know, it's, I knew him when or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and he's doing fantastic. And I really like the stuff that he's doing. You know, it's, it's, it's cool to see. And uh, so... I think ultimately is that, and it's the same thing that Steve said with this. It's like the people that get are successful are the ones that don't quit. Certainly. He's like, there's certainly better players in the same uh, class that I was in when I was going through school. The difference was they got out and they put their guitar in their case and they put it away and, you know, did whatever. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I took the knocks and it landed these positions and the rest is history. Yeah, sure. Because I didn't stop. You know, it's, it's how I got the thing at Kenyon. You know, it, it, literally, I was ready to, to cash in all the chips right before I got that teaching gig. Because it's like I got the kick in the pants of not getting a position that I previously had before, which is like an ultimate, you know, like, oh, God, I suck moment which will happen and they pick somebody else that is phenomenal so i get it that, that whatever but at the same time i was like oh this is somewhat embarrassing yes. <laughs> you know it's like oh man what am i doing with my life and then the kenyan thing happened you know and i was ready for it because i didn't stop and i walked sure. in and the rest is history and it's been going great ever since i absolutely love it um and so like that amount of motivation of just keeping to work at it 
it it always gets to a point where things can get potentially old where you look at it and you're like god what am i doing this for you know i haven't had a bite i haven't had a gig i haven't had you know whatever but and you think about quitting and you know it's like i was talking with a friend of mine that friend of mine in new york city he's just like there have been so many times where it's like screw this i'm gonna go to something else and then i'll get a huge drop in the bucket you know like yeah. then something will line up and it's like okay you know and this this can carrot on the end of a stick for lack of better things of constantly keeping you moving forward but again it it eventually it starts to self-propel where you're all actually holding the carrot in front of you so you're working on it and it's like i can get that yeah uh, type. Um, I, I did think about that a little bit with like i put a bunch of records out and they mostly you know they do okay whatever um sometimes they pay for themselves sometimes they don't but if you look at it as that continual thing and as my popularity or whatever would grow over time hopefully you know at some point it's like if you actually did ever sort of hit it you know owning all those records i'm like some, even if only 10 percent of your like new group like pay you know bought like your old back catalog yeah no like, it's huge it's a huge deal you know just having stuff out there and those kind of things yeah, it's kind of interesting to think of how that all transpires and over time. Like with Flexible and Steve Vai. <laughs> like the yeah, contract right. that he had for Flexible was enormously good for him. I think it was like five or six bucks an album right. sale. Yeah, and he didn't but make hardly anything when he first that. sells it, right? Yep. But then you get popular Now it's enough. like anytime that with Flexible, it's like he makes bank yeah. <laughs> on that thing. It's crazy. Yeah, he's probably made more money on that, even though he sold a lot less than any other yeah. record. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it, 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 so that's like, hey, you never know. The bottom line yeah. is, though, he would have quit after the quote unquote lack of success of a particular thing. He would have never gotten to the, the yeah. next And you just never next. know when somebody hears something, too. They might hear yep. it and be like, oh, I'm going to put that in a commercial or I'm going to put that in yep. my movie or I'm going to do this. You, you don't know when that's going to happen. And if you yep. don't have anything out there, obviously you don't get anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so yeah. work hard. Don't stop. <laughs> and then pick top. pick the big or small pond, whatever works for you. And wear revealing clothes. <laughs> At least for you. Did YouTube. you ever see? The, uh, I, know, I hate to keep this dragging on, but there oh, there's a, there's been lots of studies when you do um, like go to trial that pretty people get much smaller sentences. Yep, it's like yeah. significant. So yeah. one of the strategies, like if you knew in three months that you were going to go on trial. Like you're, you should get yourself in shape, get yep. a tan, like lose weight, eat healthy, get some nice clothes, you know, get your hair done professionally, all these kind of things, yeah. because like much more likely that your sentence would be it is if, if either nothing, like if you're really beautiful, considered by, you know, an average person, yeah. really beautiful, like people get nothing. Yeah, but if you look well, rough and, and like a mess, even if it was a lesser crime, like we'll get way worse. And it's absolutely it's, we're just and so no hardwired to be exactly that's where the catch is. We're so yeah. hardwired to bring these people up that are beautiful. Well, it, it's again, it's evolution, baby. You know, it's yeah. uh, those are it, it's an it's an unfortunate thing. But it is the way that it, I mean, it even happens in the animal kingdom. Like the, the yeah. it's just a, a breeding thing. And I'm, you, can, you can't really complain about it in a way. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And you're yeah, mostly not, no, you we're not immune to it, right? None of, none no, of us are really immune, immune to it. 
yeah. unless you're blind. I yeah. mean, but that's also why you know classical comp or classical uh, auditions have the behind the screen type of right. thing, so they can't see, so they can level that playing field, and that can be done. Um, and it, I think that to an extent that it should be, uh, but it's uh, the fundamental thing is it, it doesn't matter when you walk out behind that screen in life. You're going to get looked at, yeah. and people. It's no matter how much they try not to. It's it's almost it's the primitive brain response. It's just there. Yeah, you know, that's it. it the, is it, well, I don't look at physical. Yeah, no, you do. <laughs> I'm going to play the cynic. Everybody does, and that's just the way that it is. And there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Um, unless we all walk around blind, which would be bad, you know. It, it, uh, at least in the sense of then how people sound would take. Wait, over. Isn't there a movie Whatever. about that? Or there's a show on Apple TV yeah, about one, that. Yeah. Yeah. Some type of thing with that. Yeah. I never watched it. Oh, that's right. Neither have I. Yeah. I, I got that subscription for like a week. Well, I thought it was going to be a week to watch that new Spirited movie, which was pretty yeah. funny. But then, like, I forgot to cancel. It's like, ah! The, found, the foundation fun. thing was fun. That's the only thing. Oh, I got yeah. it for free um, for, like, a year because of my phone or something. But Maybe I should check that out. But that yeah, also that... means having time to watch TV. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> it's not, and I think it was only, like, six or eight episodes. So not crazy. I like those books. Those were good. Those were good. Yeah. But that's probably why I shouldn't watch it. <laughs> I get pissed off. So, oh, yeah, why maybe. Change that? How much have you uh, forgotten about the books? <laughs> no, that's true. I've probably forgotten a ton, you know. Yeah. But either way. Anyways, so here we have it. We're back. Hope you okay. all enjoyed the. Yeah, hopefully the we'll do another one before the too long. So. Yep. All right. All right, later, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.